know, it, it, we were talking about this yesterday, it, it's amazing how people that God bring, brings into your life pull things out of you. And um, it's been so significant. Um, it's no, I just want to emphasize before I get, get into what I'm going to talk about today, a little bit of what I talked about yesterday. Don't underestimate God connections and God relationships. Because there are things in you that you can only get by being connected in the right place. There are things that God wants to pull out of you. You know, and I said this yesterday. I asked how many people have ever been healed before and how many people happened when somebody laid hands on you. And the majority of us experience something like that. When, when hands are laid on us, that's when we receive healing. God uses people. If you've ever had a financial breakthrough, anybody ever had a financial miracle? How many of you found a bag of money under the steps? Probably nobody. I mean, maybe you did. I don't even know if it's legal to keep it if you find it. I've thought through the process before. Okay, how can I, how can I launder this money if I find it? I go jogging down this road a lot, and you just pass these bags all the time on the road, and I'm like, if there's any money in there and I'll, I'll confess I've stopped a couple times to look <laughs> but usually your financial breakthrough comes through somebody God speaks to somebody and and you get that financial that financial blessing God uses people in the earth we are ambassadors of the kingdom of God and it's our purpose here to establish God's kingdom. Because, you know, that's what God was doing. We, you, the New Sound is family. This, this, that's just not a catchy thing that we say that, that we call ourselves. We believe that the sound in the earth today is a resounding family. You know, the song like this, I am who he says I am. I'm chosen, not forsaken. These are, to us, like we're starting to hear them more and more, and it's becoming more of like, okay, yeah, yeah. But this is a fairly new concept for the body of Christ. It's one thing to hear somebody preach about it, but to sing a song about I am who God says I am. That's what defines me. His love for me and His perception and how He sees me is that's who I am. And, uh, and so when we say the new sound is family, we believe that that is the sound that Jesus brought into the earth. And uh, now more clearly than ever, the language that he used, the language of, of heaven, was family. God sent his son. Jesus came to show us his father. Now things got janky. <laughs> and they went sideways, but, but heaven was on earth. Because God created everything and he said that it was good. And if anything was wrong with this, God says it's good. You know, our definition of good may not be quite up to the standard of God's definition of good. So God created the earth and it was good. He created man. We were good. 
And so heaven was here and things went sideways. But God had a plan. You know, we lost who we were. And there's a whole world out there that is longing to find themselves. It's an epidemic in our culture. People don't know who they are. And they're, they're lost. You know, talk about the lost. We've talked about winning the lost. I mean, people are, people are lost, searching, looking. They don't know who they are. The place they find themselves is in, it's in God, in His love, in the lyric of a song like this, which is the language of heaven, which is Jesus' words to us. And so, so we've, got to, we've got to do this, y'all. You know, if anybody in here is thinking, um, is thinking it's time to, like, throw in the towel or if you're dreaming about heaven too much, um, it's, we need you. There's something in you that the world needs. And there's a purpose in being connected where you're connected. Um, who said this? Who said this yesterday, Cookie? I think it was you. Oh, yes, it was you. You're talking about that Bill Hybels book you were reading. And he said, what did he say? What percentage of people? The greatest percentage of time that you, the people that you have time with greatest percentage of people you have time with are drainers that suck the life out of you. Next group just doesn't drain anything. They're the neutral zone. Of course, that's none of us. The smallest percentage. Yeah. Yeah. The smallest percentage of people are the ones that you really have to identify and protect that. Um, and Sherry and I have said it before. Like, man, we really need to make... Sometimes it's, we find ourselves going, we need to make time for us. <laughs> we got to have some time together. But um, we, have to, we have to value that and really... I think there's just something significant about this... I hate to say organization, this family. <laughs> it, it really is... There's a different feel in a different, and Miss Pat pulled up this picture on her phone of, of Buddy and Brother Jerry and Brother Happy, um, and this is from like 95, or 90, early 90s, I guess, right before Buddy went to heaven. Okay, nine, 1990, and uh, did you ever see the movie The Three Amigos? Okay, they had, there's a picture of it here in the fellowship hall. They had photoshopped everybody's face out and because they called them the three amigos. And it's like, who does that? How many ministers do you know that would make a card like that for a conference? You know? <laughs> so there's just something that's, that's got this down-home feeling of like just... I know that, that many of you sense it, but we definitely do. We're just coming to the party. But um, just let me emphasize that one more time to you, to not forsake this and find those relationships, those godly relationships that God has for you and really invest in them and protect them and do what it takes to, to get everything that you're supposed to get from those.
I'm going to be more intentional about it. I'm encouraged to do that because there's a life that comes from it that doesn't you can't get from anywhere else. Um, I told you about the prophecy that Jen gave us. Um, as a matter of fact, when we got invited to do the family conference the first time, that was really when God gave us the vision for what we're doing right now, traveling as a family. We, we were just coming off the road as a band, traveling and touring as a band, and we've been doing that for about 10 years, and the kids had grown up on the road, homeschooled, you know, in the back seat and uh, being a vital part of the ministry, but not doing it with us on the, the platform. And um, the, the band thing was doing on. I think John called me or emailed me, and we were kind of talking more about the band, I think, because it was like we were transitioning from doing the band. We didn't know what we were doing next, but we ended up going, hey, let's take the kids with us and let them be the band. Let them be the band. <laughs> and they did, and that's where the, that's when things exploded for us and was the start of the vision for what we're doing. So that happened out of this, this God connection. So... Um, don't underestimate that. The word that Jen gave Sherry yesterday in the prayer line was so spot on. I was busted out in tears from back there on the, on the back row um, because it's something that God's put in our hearts that was specific verb, verbiage, just the exact thing that we need. Now that now we've got that, we're, we know, okay, God, we hear you. We're doing this. So, amen. Oh, Lord, thank you so much for your goodness and your love, Lord. And I just thank you for um, everything that you want to say and do in this session, Lord. Use me. I'm, I'm your yielded vessel to, today, Lord. And so I just submit myself, surrender myself to you, God. Say what you want to say here. In Jesus' name. Um, my message today is you are great. You're great. There's greatness in the DNA of you because God created you in his image and his likeness. And that's kind of what I was talking about earlier. There's a world that's waiting to see that greatness unlock on the inside of them. And there's this thing that religion does to people that it's like this this false humility thing and it says don't think too much of yourself I, and I really I really grew up under that and it was kind of a you know in some factions of, of Christendom it you even take like vows of poverty and you just make yourself as low as you can and and you just, you think, you know, you think bad of yourself. And it's such a trick of the enemy because thinking bad of yourself isn't humility. Because if you're thinking bad of yourself, who are you still thinking about? <laughs> you're still the center of attention. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. And we got to find that balance of knowing who we are in Christ, knowing that we're sons and daughters. But you can do that in humility. Knowing that you're great. 
And I know that's hard to like, yeah, I remember John Michael standing up on the side of the bathtub one time and going, I am the greatest, I am the strongest, I am the, you know, and he's just this little kind of twerp, you know, I mean, he was so little at the time, and it's hard to imagine now. Um, but that's not, it, there's, we got to get to that place where we can see the greatness in us and embrace the greatness in us and know we're great and walk in humility. And you can do both. You really can do both. Because if you know that you're great because God made you great, that's different than saying, I'm great because I made me great. <laughs> I'm great because of what I can do or what I'm gifted. I'm, that's why I'm great. No, you're great because he made you great. And just having that switch flipped on the inside. You know, I heard somebody do this analogy one time, and, and they said, look at this painting on the wall. And so, Cookie, you're the, you're the artist. You made this painting. And if I said, look at this painting, it's just terrible. This is just the strokes are all wrong. The colors are wrong. It's just you know, when I do that, I don't just, I'm not just tearing down and demeaning the painting. I'm demeaning the creator. We are God's handiwork. We are his creation. And this is the thing. In order to do what we are supposed to do in the earth, what we will do in the earth, we have to walk in that greatness. Y'all still hungry, ready for lunch? Oh, wait, that was yesterday. <laughs> Spider-Man. Spider-Man. How many grew up on Spider-Man? If you're under 40, do not raise your hand. How many of you grew up on the real Spider-Man? The first Spider-Man. Man, that, that dude was... He was... There was so much I didn't understand, but was just mystified by this guy. And and so, have you seen have you seen the new Spider-Man movies? No, now no, this guy's like next level. You know, he's really. I mean, the first Spider-Man was impossible, but this guy is really impossible. You know, he's swinging through skyscrapers. You're like, what's he, the thing connected to? You know. So apparently the new Spider-Man can kind of fly. Let me read you the back of this. Spider-Man. One bite from a radioactive spider turns Peter Parker into Spider-Man, a web-spinning superhero with amazing powers and wall-crawling capabilities. Spider-Man was the bomb. Can we agree? I love Spider-Man. Batman. <laughs> right Batman you know there's something special about Batman and this is the part that I can identify with in Jesus name he's a billionaire <laughs> you know what I mean you forget about that it's like but that's part of the deal that's built into the story this guy's got loot <laughs> he's got a cave thing built under his house and that guy Albert that just is smart and does everything, you know. Alfred, I'm sorry. I am so sorry, Miss Cookie. Batman. I didn't read this one. This is self-explanatory. Batman's got the suit. He's got the money for development. He's got the chick. 
He, he, Batman, Batman was a baller. We all know that car. And you know, now I grew up on the Batman. How many of y'all remember this? The boom, pow. You know, I used to love those fights, you know, when they would do that. And it's like, you know, Robin was so corny. It was so cheesy. John Michael and I used to watch those together when we'd get in bed together and watch him when he was little. And it's just like, it, it, was, it was really a trip down memory lane. But the new Batman, it's like, it's next level, people. That, that car that can, like, fly and roll and uh, go in the water it goes underwater, and now there's an entrance to the cave. You know how much money it costs him to do that? Doesn't matter. He's a billionaire. Now, my next character, I didn't want to cause any issues for anybody, so I didn't get the doll. Wonder Woman. <laughs> now... <laughs> Now, be honest, don't raise your hand, but did Wonder Woman cause issues for anybody? <laughs> you, don't, you don't realize till you go to the store and you, you look at the doll and you're like, I can't, I can't hold that doll up in church. <laughs> People, Wonder Woman was fine. I'll just tell you right now. <laughs> God, God gave me a Wonder Woman, uh, and she's fine. Hello. I don't even know what Wonder Woman's. I don't know what Wonder Woman's powers were because Wonder Woman's powers was she was fine. <laughs> you know, she didn't. I, I watched. I watched Wonder Woman. She had the lasso, right? Yeah, that's a superpower, lasso. No. The, the superpower was the costume. I'm just being honest. <laughs> okay. Now, we all remember this one. Obsessive compulsive man. Nobody knows this one? You've never heard of obsessive compulsive man? Weird. A day in the life of the OC action figure. 6.32 a.m. Wakes up to radio alarm. Takes five deep, breath, deep breaths. Gets out of bed after weather report. 6.46 a.m. Does 30 sit-ups and 20 push-ups. 7 a.m., showers, clean shower. 7.22, washes hands and shaves. 7.35, brushes teeth, disposes of toothbrush. 7.38, washes hands, checks weight. 8.12, irons clothes, arranges pillows on bed. 8.30 a.m., eats 113 grams of cereal with 200 grams of milk. 8.45, checks the clocks, unplugs lamps, checks to make sure refrigerator is still plugged in. 8.50, warms up car for two minutes, checks blind spots four times on each side, backs out of driveway. 9 o'clock, arrives at work, cleans computer monitor, sanitizes phone, times breaks with a stopwatch. 
5.10, arrives home, sets car alarm four times. 5.13 p.m., plugs in lamps, vacuums carpets, polishes shoes. 5.14 p.m., washes hands, puts on disposable gloves, reads entire newspaper, revises his to-do list. 6.57, walks counterclockwise around the block twice. Walks clockwise around the block twice. 7.45, eats 227 grams of soup and 100 grams of brown rice. 8.33, brushes teeth, disposes of toothbrush. 8.38, reads warnings on medication bottles. 9.02, opens every door, taps the door frame, then locks door. 9.12, hums silent night while walking upstairs. 9.30, sets alarm. Sets alarm. Sets alarm. <laughs> Counts prime numbers until falling asleep. <laughs> now, this is, this is a little fun test to see if anybody here is obsessive compulsive, which I'm sure there are people here that I know that I identified a couple of these things, but are you obsessive compulsive? Give yourself one point for each question you answer true. You carry a spray bottle of bleach in your briefcase or purse. <laughs> Any kind of cleaner at all? Okay. You are constantly looking for typos. <laughs> your canned food is organized by expiration date. Oh, wow. You have disposable booties for your house guests. <laughs> <laughs> your salad has to have an even number of croutons. You mow your neighbor's lawn. <laughs> John's like, that's definitely not me. You prefer to bump elbows instead of shake hands. Sometimes. <laughs> you can't drive down streets named after trees. Random. <laughs> you wash your hands after taking a shower. You have a list of your lists. Sherry. Y'all can't have this, by the way. Well, it's, you had to keep your own score. Okay. Oh, okay, okay, okay. This is just an object lesson. This is not the sermon. Um, zero, zero points, you're not OC, and you probably touch doorknobs with your bare hands. Gross. One to three points, you're just beginning to discover the joys of rigid structure and routine. Four to six points, you definitely have OC tendencies. Seven to nine, you are OC and proud of it. Ten points, seek help, ocfoundation.org. You know who you are. Now, how did all that tie into this? You know, when you're a kid... You know you're great, right? You know you could be Spider-Man. You could be Batman. You could be Wonder Woman. Some of us do grow up to be Wonder Woman. And it takes a few years of religion to convince you otherwise. To tell you that you're not great. Isn't it interesting, kids... Nobody's fighting. It's like, I want to be this one. No, I want to be this one. 
I want to be Wonder Woman. Nobody says, I want to be OCD guy. I want to be a drug addict. Kids know that there's greatness on the inside of them. And you know what? There's a seed of greatness in you that God put in there. And sometimes, I love the way, uh, I love the the thought and the, the verbiage to say I'm a son of God. I'm a child of God because that makes me feel like a child. I mean, it makes me feel like a child. You know, Jesus talked about childlike faith. Kids have that thing. They have that knowing. I'm great. John Michael knew. I am the greatest. I am the strongest. I am the... I won't tell you what he did next. (laughs) And so the enemy comes to rob us and redefine us and actually gets... I think, sadly, in a lot of cases, a lot of help from the church. Part of the the call and, and the primary call that God has put on our lives as a family is to restore identity. Um, you know, the whole... And, and I completely empathize with people that are confused and hurting and in pain. And, and um, I'm not minimizing what is a very real thing for people that they go through. But the issues with gender and things that are happening in the world today, um, it is. And, and what's happening there is there's, there's this, people are so confused about who they are and don't know where they come from, they're searching. And so, well, maybe this is it. Well, maybe this is it. Well, maybe I feel this way because of this. But what we're looking for and what they're looking for is only found in one place, and it's in the face of Jesus. I love this, I love this new Bible uh, that I got, the, the study Bible that I was telling you guys about, the mirror Bible, and I know when you bring up um, new translations of the Bible, like I get a little flack sometimes from people. Like when I first started reading the Message Bible and using that Bible a lot, man, let me tell you, that Bible made God's Word brand new to me again. I I, I started reading that Message Bible, and um, Eugene Peterson, the guy that that wrote that, passed away just a little while, a few days ago, a week or so ago. And uh, I just was reevaluating, just thinking about, man, that, that man, his obedience really impacted my life because that translation changed the way that I saw God. And sometimes we need to see it different. And, you know, I'm not saying, I, I don't think that everybody got it 100% right anywhere down the line, but the Holy Spirit has it right. And, and because I have the Holy Spirit, I don't have to be threatened by somebody that may not believe exactly the way I believe or always interpret exactly the way I believe. I'm not threatened by that. God's not threatened. He doesn't, 
you know, the things that we get upset and fight about in denominations and stuff, God's not threatened by any of that stuff. Come on. So, you know, I bring up this translation. I'm not, I don't know a lot about it. All I know is when I read it, there are a lot of things in it that really connect me to, to God in a fresh way. Um, Paul said, when we see Jesus, it's like looking in a mirror. Think of that. That's the place where we truly see who we are is in the face of Jesus. As a matter of fact, let me, this thing is a beast. Let me just read it to you out of there. <laughs> Jesus is the mirror. This is 1 Corinthians 13, 12. Listen to this. There was a time of suspense when everything we saw was merely mirrored in the prophetic word like an enigma. But then, when I became an adult in the revelation of Christ, I gazed face to face that I may know me. Listen to this. That I may know me even as I have always been known. You want to know who you are? Look at Jesus. <laughs> because Jesus is the mirror of who we are. Did you know that when God looks at you, He sees Jesus? He sees that perfection? The face of Jesus is where we find out who we are. That's why it's so important to press for and pursue God moments in, you know, times of worship and to always be sensitive for what needs to happen right now. What's right for right now? And that can only happen by the Spirit of God. There's a whole world out there, a generation, the generations below me that don't know what the presence of God is. And when I say that, I mean like the realized presence of God when you know God's in the room doing something right now. They think, uh, well, yeah, it's when the worship set went good, right? You know, it's when everything felt right. It's when everything, when there were no glitches in the program. I love organization, don't get me wrong. But they've mistaken a good, smooth service for the presence of God. But there's a real tangible person of the Holy Spirit, God manifest in the earth that wants to manifest and show people who they are. Those God, when people experience God and come face to face with Him, you can't take that away from them. You can argue with people till you're blue in the face about faith and <laughs> confession, but when they encounter God and they begin to know Him, that's something that it requires no argument. You don't have to talk anybody into it. They know something happened, something changed. You know, we get testimonies of like uh, a friend of ours was at a, a meeting the other day, and, she, and uh, she's a, a minister, and uh, Dara McLean, she's a singer, a worship leader, and she said that there was somebody there that had had been away from God. for. She never really served God. She was Catholic, and and just went to Mass and things like that. Something happened with her boyfriend. Did he die or he committed suicide? And 
And she said, since that time, I've just never really been able to pray. And when you sang, this was at an, at an essential oils event. The lady's a Christian that's having it. There were thousands of people there. And so they had a worship service on Sunday morning after the conference. And she sang, and the girl said, when you, oh, sorry, when you sang, something happened in me. I sensed something that I've never sensed before. This is an untrained, worldly person. Something happened inside of me. And for the first time in five years, I was able to talk to God. Required no sermon. It didn't even require the Bible for that moment. But what needed to happen, happened. And the presence of God was realized. And knowing that we find out who we are, and it's imperative that people find out who they are, we've got to, we've got to get them in the presence of God. We've got to have those moments. We've got to have those times. I'm so thankful for the way that I've been raised. The part that I did get was I do know what the presence of God is like. I do know what it's like to be in a service and, and realize God is here and it's about to go down. <laughs> And, and we should hunger for that and thirst for that, you know. Um, there's something about Jesus that just, when you're around Jesus, he makes you feel great. You realize that greatness. You know, the Bible says that the disciples, all, all the disciples, the one thing that they argued about was who was the greatest. Now, how many of you have friends that get together and argue about who's the greatest? I mean, there may be a few macho guys that work out, you know, that, that do that, but that's not normal. <laughs> Was it James and John? They got their mom to be a part of the deal. Jesus, grant me this one thing that, that my sons can sit at your side. And it said that the rest of the disciples got indignant. You know why? They didn't think of getting their mom. To ask Jesus about it. <laughs> John is the only book, the only gospel where, where John is called John the Beloved, the one whom Jesus loved. Is John? All the other gospels just say John. But John says John the Beloved. John's writing the. John's writing the scripture, the holy Bible. And he says, and Peter and John ran to the tomb. And John got there first. <laughs> These are the most important things to be recorded for the rest of history. I won the race. Let me read this... Uh, this scripture, Romans 8, 28, we all know this, I'm sure. You know all things work together for the good, right? Do you know why? And we know that all things work together for good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. This is why all things work together for good. 
For those God foreknew, he also predestined, listen to this, to be conformed to the image of his Son. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. The reason all things work together for good is because you were predestined for glory. And people say really religious things that sound great in a religious setting, like, I don't want to take any of the glory from God. And that sounds right, right? But did you know that the scripture says, the glory, Jesus prayed, the glory that you gave me, give it to them. You were destined for glory. We are carriers of the glory and the goodness of God in the earth. And there's this thing that religion says, you know, that don't think too much of yourself. And we minimize the gift of God in us, and it keeps us from stepping out and being who God created us to be. You know, I I see John Michael up here you know, and, and leading worship and doing his thing like he was this morning. And, and I don't go, oh, man, he's so good. If he does too good, people aren't going to like me. <laughs> no. I'm like, go for it, man. I'm like, that's my son. Yeah. That's my boy. You know, that in some way... We're going to take the glory from God, the glory that's His. We're not, no, none of us are good enough for that. None of us are big enough for that. When you excel and do your thing that God's put on the inside of you, when you realize your greatness and you stand in that place, when John Michael stands up there and he, he, he's walking in the fullness of his gift and the power of God's flowing through him, God's saying, that's my boy. And, and he's not doing anything that's diminishing the Howell family name at all. He's making the Howell family name greater. Because God's using the Howells. God's using that Howell boy. <laughs> and I'd say the same thing about Sarah. If she was here. I rejoice in my kids. And, and, and you know, a lot of people, it's hard for them to, to step into this this way of thinking, this line of thinking, of thinking I'm great. Can we just all say that one time? Everybody say it. I'm great. great. Greatness is in me. The greatness of God is manifesting in my life. Man, that feels right. That feels empowering. That feels like we could do something. But there's this thing, you know, there's this thing with condemnation. that says you messed up so you know you you lied and so you're a liar um you committed you did something wrong sexually and so now you're an adulterer that's what you are it kind of sounds right right i mean you did do that stuff right you, you know when we God, Jesus didn't just die to save us. Of, uh, thank God he, he died to forgive us of our sins. 
But he also made us a new creation. We have a new nature. When you receive Christ and you walk into that, that new place, you become a new creation in him. And guess what? You don't have a sin nature anymore. One of the biggest lies of religion is, I am a sinner saved by grace. Bull. You're not, not if you're born again. You were a sinner in a split second when you believed you went from being a sinner to being a saint. That's what we are now. No longer slaves to fear or to sin or anything else. We're a new creation in Christ Jesus. With a new nature. You know, Adam and Eve didn't sin because they had a sin nature. God created them and they were good. They were perfect. But you know what they had that all of us have? Free will. They made a choice that was outside their nature. And it had an effect in the earth. And we make choices that are outside our nature. And one of the things that digs at me is to hear somebody say, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I love everybody, but I hate that phrase. Because as long as you think that you're a sinner, you will sin by faith. Because how did you get righteous? You believed it. By faith. You believed that you were righteous. You believed that Jesus came and He paid the price and moved you into a new place in Him. But if you believe that you're a sinner, uh uh-uh, that's not me. You are not what you feel. You are not what you've done. You are not your mistakes. You are not your failures. If you hear those things, if those thoughts come to your mind, when you start trying to, you get in these environments and you see God's doing something and you have a hunger for it, but there's this thing that's pressing down on you and saying, no, but remember this thing that you did. Religion wants to make us think you have to feel guilty for what you did wrong. You need to feel guilty. You know, I grew up in church. I, I, I went to the altar every Sunday because, now this is what we called it, conviction. I, I was convicted. For the stuff I did. <laughs> and this, is, this, is, this was my mindset. The Holy Spirit is convicting me of my sin. No. That's not what was happening. Now I would go up and my heart was right in it. I would go up and I would pray for a while and I would lay at the altar with everybody else and I would cry for a good solid five or ten minutes. And I would feel better because I had done something to make myself feel better about my guilt and my sin that the, quote, Holy Spirit had convicted me of. But there's a difference in conviction of the Holy Spirit. Conviction of the Holy Spirit is a real thing. Condemnation is also a real thing. I was feeling condemned because I had made choices 
outside my nature. And so I needed to get things right with God. <laughs> I needed to go up and respond. I needed to feel ashamed because I had to get up and walk down that aisle. And, by, and I was the pastor's son, by the way. I, I needed to feel ashamed and walk down that aisle, take the walk of shame down to the aisle so everybody knew I messed up again. <laughs> I needed to feel that because I had messed up. And I needed to repent or do penance for my sin. And that was just the culture. Had to get it right because the, this is what I thought. The Holy Spirit was convicting me of my sin. But that's not what was happening. I know what everybody's thinking. What about that scripture? What is that scripture? Did I write that scripture down? I'm going to say the scripture. Fred's going to know the scripture. Romans 8.1. My goodness. Is it Romans 8.1? What does it say, Pastor Fred? Well, that's a good one, but that's the one after the one I'm thinking about. What is it? Romans 3.23, what does it say? Yes, all have sinned. Nope, still don't, that's still not the one. Thank you all so much for shouting those out. Those are good ones, man. Whew. Is that it? What does it say? That's the one. That's the one. Let me see it. Where's it at? Where's it? Which is it? John 16 what? Okay. This requires a little bit of translation, people. And when he has come, this is what you're thinking. I'm saying the Holy Spirit doesn't convict you of sin, right? Well, this is what it says right here. And when he has come, he will convict a world of sin. What? Get up here with me. <laughs> he will convict the world of their sin. We don't get convicted of sin. He convicts us of righteousness because we're already in. You know, there is a time when somebody feels that conviction and goes, yeah, I need to do this. I'm convicted of my sin. It's been revealed to me that I am walking in a path that is destructive. But for us as believers, He convicts us of righteousness. And what I believe the Lord wanted to say to us today is you are so great and you are so right. Writer, you're the rightness of God. Everything that's right about Him, which is everything, is right about you. Now we're walking this out and we're getting perfected, right? And that's why we need the Holy Spirit to convict us of righteousness. You know what? You're not just Fred brothers. You are Fred freaking super righteous brothers. Man. Super Sherry. That is a good one, man. We got to get there, y'all. 
we got to get there. And this is going back to the message yesterday. We need each other to call that out and pull that out of, of one another. When somebody's struggling, when somebody's going through the ringer, they don't need somebody to tell them how bad they are. People do not need you to go to them and tell them how wrong they are. Sometimes people need correction and stuff. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about in general, unless you're like in a place of leadership and you have a responsibility and you're at the end of the line, that's different. In general, where most of us live on a day-to-day basis, this is what we got to get straight. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We have a responsibility to one another to call the greatness of God out of one another. To first of all realize that we're great, that greatness is on the inside of us. We are sons and daughters of Almighty God. There's greatness in us that's going to change the world. Now, part of our job is to call that out of the people around us. To release the gift of God and release the power and release the greatness in that person around us and go, you're great because God made you great. There's untapped potential on the inside of you. Some people, There's some people that you know that are in your churches and that are in your life that maybe they're a drug addict. And, and they need greatness called out of them. You know, you can set the course for somebody's life. And, and you don't have to go to somebody and say, you need to stop doing drugs. You, need to, you can walk up to somebody that's strung out and say, God loves you. And he's got a plan for you. And there's greatness inside you that's coming out. And nothing that you've done can hinder you or hold you back from that. Because Jesus paid the ultimate price to bring you into a place of righteousness. Somebody say, I'm righteous. <laughs> Somebody say, I'm holy. Somebody say, I'm great. Woo, praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for that greatness that lives in the heart and life of every person, God. Let not this word just be something that we've heard that goes in one ear and out the other. Lord, I'm asking this for me. Lord, let the revelation of the greatness that you've put on the inside of me be more real and bigger than it has ever been in my life, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that I'm great, not because I made me great, because you made me great, God. And I embrace it, Lord. I embrace the greatness. Thank you, Jesus. Fred, do you have anything to tag on the end? That's it. Wasn't Fred amazing last night? Whoo, Jesus. I think that's it for me. Thanks.